Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. for today is from 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Please rise for the gospel. St. Mark, the ninth chapter. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became white, uh, radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. We continue with our hymns swiftly past the clouds.
May God grace, mercy, and peace be yours today in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message comes to us from the Gospel reading. Let's pray. O God, in this glorious transfiguration of your only begotten Son, you confirm the mysteries of the faith by the testimonies of the ancient fathers. By the voice that came from the bright light, you wonderfully foreshadowed our adoption by grace. So bless our time in your word today, and as we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our maker and our redeemer. Amen. In our reading today, we heard this. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they, saw no, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Our text. Stanislav Petrov. It might not be a name that is well known to you, but let me tell you about this defining moment in Stanislav Petrov's life. It was the moment that he decided to do nothing. He was a lieutenant colonel in the uh, Soviet Air Defense Forces, and he was just a few hours into his shift on September 26, 1983. At that moment, the early warning satellite system that he was monitoring detected what appeared to be five approaching U.S. nuclear-armed intercontinental ballistic missiles. It was during one of the most tense periods of the Cold War, and the series of events led Russia to, to live in this constant fear and anticipation of a U.S. attack. But before taking immediate action, defensive action, he sought clarity sort of on the reality of the situation. I mean, he looked at electronic maps and screens and that were flashing. He held a, a phone in one hand and an intercom in the other, trying to absorb the streams of incoming information. And he was forced to make a critical choice, a choice that had to be made immediately. Treat the warning as a false alarm or alert his superiors who'd likely launch a counterattack. Petrov went with the false alarm uh, and later explained that he reasoned that if the United States really wanted to start a nuclear war, they do more with more than just five missiles, right? Uh, and so he was correct. The satellites had mistaken the reflection of the sun off the clouds for attacking missiles. And he was later reprimanded because he did not immediately react to the situation that confronted him, but he defended his inaction, pointing out that the system was rushed into use and, and was likely inaccurate. And, and his uh, perspective was, we are wiser than the computers. That was the defining moment of his life. Now, history and historians and writers use different terms, but they all mean the same thing, whether they call it a defining moment, a critical juncture, a watershed event, or, or maybe a crossroad or something else. Uh, what they're trying to express is that there are these certain events in people's lives that are so significant that they can either alter or determine how a, a person's life will go on from that moment, right? Webster's Dictionary Online defines the phrase defining moment as that time that shows very clearly what something is really all about. 
Sometimes those crossroads come into a person's life without any choice, right? Maybe it's an illness, a medical condition, a sudden loss, or, or some other such life-altering event over which we have no control. The only option to us at that time is to, with God's help, to, to work on acceptance of the fact that our lives may not continue as we originally envisioned them. But then there are those crossroads in life where we do have a choice. Maybe it's a change of location, a change of vocation or job. Uh, something else which is uh, something uh, else which, depending on the path that is chosen, will definitely have an impact on our lives and the lives of our family. Now those events can be difficult choices, can't they? Because we know that when we look back on our lives from the perspective of time, that that things could uh, have gone quite a bit differently had it gone down another path. Now today we're marking an event in the life of Jesus, which I believe uh, most of us recognize uh, since we observe it every year. However, I'm not sure that we always see the transfiguration of Jesus as the crossroads that it must have presented to our Lord. There is a choice involved, and because of the path chosen, and we will someday share in the glory that was on display on that memorable night. Memorable night. But before we get working through this, uh, a little background might be helpful. Before the reading today, Jesus' ministry is, is sort of drawing to a close. He would soon go to Jerusalem for the final time. He wished to prepare his disciples for what he knew would happen. About one week prior to this, in answer to the Lord's question, who do you say that I am? Peter came forward with this bold and beautiful confession of the faith, right? You are the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, right? Jesus wanted his disciples to understand what that really meant. And so, for the first time, he talked to them openly about his impending suffering, his death, his resurrection, but their response was not that encouraging. Uh, and we know the disciples didn't quite understand everything that Jesus meant. Nevertheless, he kept on instructing them, kept on preparing them, with the ultimate teaching tool being his transfiguration. After six days, he took Peter, James, and John with them and led them up a high mountain, we're told, where they were all alone. Now we know from the Gospels that Peter, James, and John uh, sort of formed that inner circle of Jesus' disciples, and so it's not unexpected that Jesus chose uh, uh, these three to go with him that day. Now Luke's account uh, of this incident, uh, we're given the further information that Jesus went up the mountain to pray. Well, no, nothing unexpected there, right? I mean, Jesus often went off by himself or with others to pray, but this time something extraordinary takes place. We're told that on that mountain he was transfigured, that he was changed before them, that his clothes, as we're as we read today, became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. In other words, Jesus changed. He was transformed. They were, they were suddenly surrounded by the, the whiteness and the brightness of God's glory that belongs to him as the almighty son of God. And, and if that wasn't strange enough, something else happened. We're told that he had visitors. Elijah and Moses appeared. They were talking with Jesus. Now, now, why these two? Why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, Luke's Gospel tells us they were talking to Jesus about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. 
Perhaps Elijah uh, represents the prophets, Moses, the law, and taking those two together, they are uh, symbolic of the entire Old Testament and his testimony and, the, and the, to the coming of, and the work of the Messiah, the completion, the fulfillment of all things near. The disciples were so caught up in this heavenly meeting that they weren't sure what to do. They didn't want the moment to end, and, and Peter makes this an unusual and unnecessary request. He says, Rabbi, Jesus, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, or three texts, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we're told, did not know what to say because he was so frightened. But in a moment, that would increase the fear. Mark tells us that this cloud appears and envelops them. A voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. In the Bible, this cloud often indicates the presence of God. For example, we think of Mount Sinai, the dedication of Solomon's temple, the pillar of cloud that led Israelites in the wilderness by the day. Uh, and here is another instance, this cloud comes before them. In addition to the cloud, there is the, the voice of God. And these similar words were spoken at Jesus' baptism, which marked the beginning of his ministry. And now they're spoken again uh, as Jesus enters that final phase of his ministry. And so God speaks to the disciples, and he speaks to us, says, listen to him, my beloved son. And then it all changed. They looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. In other words, it ended as quickly as it began. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And there would come a time when the disciples would share this with others, but not yet. You know, Jesus told them to wait until the resurrection, when this and everything else would fall into place. Now, turning to our text, let's first consider this transfiguration as a, a defining moment for Jesus. Because we really need to see what this event meant for Jesus. Remember the timing. He's entering the final phase of his redemptive work. And in theological terms, we talk about the work that Jesus did to save us as falling into two different categories. One is active obedience. We speak of his active obedience as being the fact that he actively carried out every command of God. God tells us to be perfect and keep his commandments perfectly. We can't do it because we're sinners. But what we cannot do, Jesus did for us as our substitute. And then we speak of a passive obedience, meaning that uh, the part of his work as our Savior that he let happen to him. A uh, just and righteous God has proclaimed in his word, man's sin and disobedience cannot go unpunished, that, as Paul says, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus, again, as mankind substitute, willingly took on that punishment took on that wrath, took on the death upon himself. And that meant the cross. And that's what Jesus knew still lay ahead of him at this point. You know, now as, as true man, he was not looking forward to this passion any more than we would, I think. Now you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, a lot of times he was, uh, God, if this cup of no pass, that'd be great, you know, but not my will, but you're, you're done. You know, as true man, Jesus is at this critical juncture in his ministry. This is a defining moment. There's a choice involved. Jesus is at the crossroad. 
One path leads to self-preservation. The other path leads to the cross. And it's important for you to, for me to realize this choice. Because unless we do, we can never fully understand the depth of Jesus' love for us. Because Jesus isn't a robot. He's not a heavenly machine mechanically programmed to uh, unemotionally and painlessly go through these final steps needed to save mankind. Jesus is also a true man. And he needs encouragement. In the conversation with Moses and Elijah, the reassuring voice of his father, the taste of the glory which he voluntarily had given up, but which he would once again assume after the passion, all these things served to strengthen him for the road ahead because he knew the road would be difficult. Transformation is a defining moment for Jesus. But the transformation is also a defining moment for the disciples. I mean, think about that. Uh, what this event meant for them. You see, the transfiguration was this defining moment for the disciples because this is proof that Jesus is indeed the Christ. The transfiguration also provided them with strength and encouragement for the journey ahead because they would be pillars of the early church. We knew this transfiguration had a profound influence on Peter. He talks about it in his second letter. John talks about it in his gospel, and it bears his name as well as his first letter. As for James, he was the first of the 12 disciples to die for the sake for the cause of Christ, which made him the first to enter that glory that he had a foretaste of on that mountain. What the transfiguration did for these disciples was to motivate them, encourage them, continue in their service and perseverance because they knew what they had seen. They knew that they would someday share in that glory. They knew what had been momentary on that mountain would someday be theirs eternally. And that knowledge made a difference in their lives. That's a defining moment for the disciples. But this is also a defining moment for you and me too, isn't it? This event makes a difference in our lives if we take time to think about it. One of our Lenten hymns talks about the events of Jesus' last days, beginning uh, with mitigating each verse of that question, were you there, right? Were you there when they crucified my Lord and sent him? For the Christian, the answer is yes. We were there. Through the eyes of faith, we were there. Through God's revelation, today, we were there on that mountain, just like the disciples. The transfiguration strengthens you and me in the knowledge that Jesus is no ordinary man, but the Christ, the Savior, our Redeemer. The reality of Jesus' transfiguration triggers a, a transfiguration in us. Listen to the words of 1 John 3. How great is the love of the Father that is lavished on us, that we should be children called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Because of this revelation, we want to live as God has called us to live. We also know what lies ahead in the future, and that gives us the desire 
to live for our Lord now in the present. And because we know what eternally awaits us, we can also endure anything that we face on this side of eternity. Now, I, I don't want to be Pollyanna here. I mean, there is the reality of living in a sinful world among sinful people struggling with their own sinful nature. There are going to be hardships and disappointments in life, won't there? Absolutely. So the transfiguration shows you and me that this, this is not all there is. Paul put it this way. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, the present, as good or as bad as it may be, doesn't even compare to the future. The transfiguration gives us a glimpse of the future. American evangelist D.L. Moody <clears throat> tells a story about a Christian woman, a woman who was very bright and cheerful and optimistic, but uh, she was also confined to her room because of her illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old rundown building. A friend decided to visit her one day and brought along another woman with her, uh, and this woman was a, a person of great wealth. Uh, since there was no elevator, they had the long trek up the stairs uh, to the attic. And on that climb upward, when they, when they reached the, the second floor, this well-to-do woman commented, Oh, what a dark and filthy place. And the friend walking with her replied, It's better higher up. They got to the third landing, and the remark was made, it's even worse here. And the friend replied, it'll be better higher up. And finally, they got all the way to the top, into the attic area, and they found this bedridden saint of God who had a smile on her face that radiated, radiated the joy that was within her heart. The room was clean, the flowers uh, were on the windowsill, but this wealthy visitor could not contain herself about the stark surroundings and blurted out, it must be so difficult for you to live here like this. Without hesitation, the woman in the bed responded, it will be better, higher up. You see, she wasn't looking at humble things. With the eyes of faith fixed on the eternal, she found that secret of true satisfaction and contentment she had been transformed because she knew uh, she knew uh, what she knew was yet to come. And that is what the transfiguration does for you and me. And it made this essential message of the transfiguration, namely that Jesus Christ is God, that he is our Savior, that he is our Redeemer, and that through choice, his choice, heaven awaits us. May that message serve to strengthen and comfort and motivate you and me to live for our Lord. As we fully taste, until we fully taste that glory that will be ours. It provides us with strength and motivation for life and service now, because we know what will be. The transfiguration of Jesus there, we are given this glimpse of glory, the, the company, the essence of what it's like. Higher up. And so may that defining moment for Jesus and the disciples be an encouraging and strengthening defining moment for you too. Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.